W-O-W-D-L-P, Tacoma Park. Listeners, you are tuned into WOWD 94.3 FM, and this is Interfaith Ish. I'm your host, Jack Gordon, and every other Wednesday, one hour at a time, right here on Tacoma Radio, we bring you bold conversations about what we believe, why we believe, and how we navigate the common ground and differences between our traditions. Dear listeners, if you tuned into our last episode, you know that we had, for the first time, a live in-studio audience. Well, apparently this is getting to be a thing because this week we are joined by a high school English and AP government class from Muslim and Muslima Learning Center. Good morning, class. All right, it must be very early. We've got some drowsy faces. Let's hear it again. Good morning, class. All right. Our little homespun Tacoma studio is starting to feel like the Today Show all of a sudden. So as Sufi mystic Al Roker would say, let's get into some interfaith-ish. Dear listeners, I'm joined this morning by Nadia Hassan, a uh, teacher with the uh, exuberant high school students that uh, just greeted us this morning. Nadia is the founder and executive director of the Young Leaders Institute, a youth leadership platform and network connector that empowers youth towards social entrepreneurship and social innovation. Prior to moving to D.C., Nadia founded the Villa Park Peace Coalition to counteract hate and anti-Muslim bigotry in Orange County, California. And currently, Nadia serves on the Prince George's County Muslim Council. She's the National Committee Board Member for the Muslim Caucus of America. And most recently, she was appointed as a commissioner to the Governor of Maryland's Commission on African and Middle Eastern American Affairs. Welcome to you, Nadia. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And my second guest this morning is Jordan Denary Duffner, author of Finding Jesus Among Muslims, How Loving Islam Makes Me a Better Catholic. Currently, Jordan is a Ph.D. student at Georgetown University in theology and religious studies, as well as an associate of the Bridge Initiative, where she previously worked studying Islamophobia. Welcome to you, Jordan. Thanks for having me. All right, so we've got two impressive guests. Both of you are involved in quite a lot of projects, um, and I'm thinking that uh, we should start by hearing a little bit about where each of you are from um, before getting into some of the thornier subjects that both of you uh, have dealt with in your work. Um, and then, with any luck, we'll hopefully find ourselves uh, back around to some more hopeful themes by the end of our conversation. Sound good? Sounds, sounds so, great. Great. Sounds okay. So, Nadia, when I was in high school, for all I knew, my teachers rolled out a cot at the end of the evening and uh, just slept there under their desks. I had no idea what they did outside of school, let alone their life stories. So, for the benefit of our young friends uh, in the other room and all our dear listeners at home, Tell us a little bit about where you're from and uh, what your upbringing was like. 
Thank you. Um, yeah, so I'm from Orange County, California. Um, I grew up there. Uh, my father was a U.S. Marine, and my mother was an immigrant. Mm -hmm. And so, from where? Uh, from Lebanon. Okay. Lebanon. So my father had uh, gone over to Lebanon, brought her back, and um, had four children uh, in these in the states. I was uh, brought up in the states, and life was pretty normal in Orange County, California, prior to 9/11. Mm. So I lived a very basic American, you know, loving apple pie type life you know everything was normal went to high school had lots of friends um, I had friends from all faiths all backgrounds actually one of my best friends was a born-again Christian mm -hmm. and we used to sit and talk about faith and and her faith and my faith and that's where I first learned how many commonalities and similar similarities we had between the Muslim faith and the Christian faith mm -hmm. were, so were you and your family particularly religious growing up with your was your father Muslim as well? uh, yes my family was Muslim not very religious I would say some uh, faith was something that I chose for myself um, as I got older and learned and studied. So I was born into a Muslim family. However, I chose on my own to practice the faith um, after years of studying and, and getting into uh, studying the Quran. Mm -hmm. so. And what was the diversity like in that community in Orange County? Was it pretty diverse or homogeneous? I think my brother and I were the only Muslims in school. Uh -huh. <laughs> so it wasn't very diverse. As you know, Orange County is a very conservative county, mm. uh, predominantly white. Mm -hmm. uh, so there was not a lot of diversity. So I was the one that always stuck out like a sore thumb, mm. if you will. Um, but, you know, it really... Um, it's interesting because I feel like that that laid the foundation for the work that I was going to do later on mm -hmm. in life. Of course, mm -hmm. I didn't know it at the time, uh, but it was, you know, being different taught me or actually built character in me. I think that's the best way to say it. Mm -hmm. And so you said you, you had uh, this one friend who was a born-again Christian. Yes. Um, was, were, were there and other... I, used to, I uh -huh. used to go to church with her. Okay. Uh, yeah, and I, and I was shocked that my mom never said anything like you know they would have these youth because at the you know the muslim community is a fairly new community so we didn't have uh during that time there weren't a lot of mosques there were a few mm -hmm. but not a lot like like we see today mm -hmm. so um you know my friends uh, the the good thing about is that i was running with the friends who were religious even mm -hmm. though they weren't of my same faith mm -hmm. uh but they were religious and they were good you know they were trying to be they came from good christian families mm -hmm. and they were trying to be um, faithful. They attended church service on, on Sundays, and my parents didn't mind me uh, going with them when they had youth retreats and, and things like that. And so that's how I came to learn uh, about a faith other than my own. Mm -hmm. And so did they also participate in activities that the Muslim community had or that your family had um, holy day celebrations more of the not so much because when I was younger younger we didn't go I mean we went to the mosques on Sundays mm -hmm. but there wasn't our community again our community was new so we mm. didn't it wasn't developed so we didn't mm -hmm. have a lot of youth retreats it wasn't until I got into high school that I think we started going to conferences and youth retreats mm. and and things like that but in my younger years we didn't have a lot of those activities okay. yeah during the intro I rattled off a, bit, a bunch of different jobs that you that you have the roles that you play <laughs> in the community you uh, I think since the first time that I ever met you you've struck me as somebody who's sort of omnipresent on the interfaith <laughs> scene all around there um, so were you also likewise very active in your community growing up? Were you an outgoing kid? 
Yes, I would say that I was very active. Um, my, you know, my thing is I love to connect with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it doesn't have to be just people who are like me. Mm-hmm. I love people. I love humanity. And I think that was something, you know, my nickname in school was Spaz. And really what they meant, yeah, it was, that, that, you Uh-oh, know, that might haunt you. And, and, and it was, you know, however you want to interpret it. But it was, you know, I think it was the, the adjective that was used to describe me as being an outgoing person person someone who loved to connect with people to know people uh-huh. um and so i would say yeah that was part of my personality my father interestingly enough had um a very charismatic um attitude charismatic and he sure. was very much loved in our community um i grew up in a home where my father my parents um always our home was open to everybody come mm. over eat you know we had a large um lot that our house sat on in in the backyard we had fruits and vegetables and and a big huge barbecue and it's like they were always having parties and and events and it's like the neighbors as soon as they started smelling the kebabs they would come <laughs> over That's you know great. it's like come eat and they would start filling up bags of like you know figs and pomegranates and peaches and just handing them out to the community so this is i grew up in a home that was very loving that loved their neighbors loved the community and it was like always welcoming and mm. so that was, I think, that was my foundation, and mm-hmm. I'm so grateful for it. Oh, it sounds like paradise. <laughs> so if you're just joining us, this is Interfaith-ish on WOWD 94.3 FM. We've been talking this morning with Nadia Hassan, Executive Director of the Young Leaders Institute. My second guest this morning is Jordan Denari Duffner, the author of Finding Jesus Among Muslims, How Loving Islam Makes Me a Better Catholic. Jordan, when I first met you, you were not too much older than uh, Nadia's students over there, <laughs> That's right. uh, who are no doubt hanging on our every word. Um, I think that was in, in 2013. You were an undergrad at Georgetown. I was. And you were already immersed in interfaith activism. So was this a value that you grew up with that was part of your com- community or your family? Implicitly, it was. Um, I grew up in a, a Catholic community in Indianapolis, Indiana, um, my parents were Catholic, uh, my younger brother, and my extended family, for the most part, was Catholic. And I went to Catholic grade school, Catholic high school. So in terms of the number of people that I was engaging with on a daily basis, most of them were Catholic mm-hmm. um, and, and Christian. But um, my parents, and, and especially the Jesuit high school that I went to, uh, which, which is called Burbuff, those really instilled in me an interest in uh, people and places and ideas that that were not my own, and so um, I was very interested in in religion from, you know, my my youngest days. Whether it was my own tradition or learning about Islam or Hinduism or something something like that in world religions class. Uh, when I when I grew up, I uh, through my Catholic school was an altar server and would help prepare the mass, and I always enjoyed being really involved in all of that. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that you had a Jesuit education. Yes. Uh, for those who aren't familiar, what what are the hallmarks of that particular brand of Catholic education? Oh, that's a great question. Well, I think uh, one of the things that the Jesuits are known for today is um, their embracing of diversity, and particularly in their educational institutions, um, facilitating a, a place for people of all religious traditions or any religious tradition to become deeper in that particular tradition. Mm-hmm. So um, at the Jesuit high school at Burbuff, we had, I think, about 50% Catholic students, but 
the rest of the student population were of different backgrounds. So we had Muslim students, Jewish students, people of different backgrounds. Interesting. The same percentage, uh, at least when I was an undergrad at Georgetown, was was pretty similar. So mm-hmm. we had, uh, you know, over at Georgetown, just across town, we have uh, a full time Jewish, Muslim, Hindu chaplain, along with chaplains from other Christian denominations. And, and who, for folks who, who don't know, they may know that, that Georgetown is a Catholic institution, but it's also a Jesuit yes, institution. Yes, absolutely, it is. And so for me, that was always one of the things that, that stood out the most. And I think the other thing that Jesuit schools are so good at, and I know really influenced my my own development, is this emphasis on finding your vocation or hmm. figuring out what God is calling you to. Mm-hmm. And uh I think in my, my in my own life, my my interfaith work, I have really fa- felt to be a calling, and um, I I really thank the the Jesuit education for uh, instilling that in me. Mm-hmm. So were were these ideas that your family, your parents, also identified with theologically or maybe politically also? Were, that um, openness that that it seems like uh, embracing people of of different faiths. Yes, I think uh, theologically, absolutely. And the Catholic community that I grew up in was, um, I think, fairly bipartisan, if, mm-hmm. you know, if I if I think about it. Um, you know, in grade school, you don't really know how, how people vote, I guess. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was um, it was a, an insular community, but um, in many ways, at least my grade school was, but but a, but a welcoming one. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing I did notice over time, though, uh, particularly in the... Uh, parochial school that I'd grown up in for grade school, there was there were a lot of misconceptions about Muslims, and uh, Muslims specifically, m- probably people of all religious backgrounds. Mm-hmm. But again, in the post nine eleven period, mm-hmm. um, the the anti Muslim uh, feelings and the the ignorance and the bias were were there in a subtle way, mm-hmm. and that for me, in many ways, also propelled this trajectory that I've been on mm-hmm. engaging uh, Catholic-Muslim relations specifically. And I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I would have the impression that in, in Indiana, religious diversity would be somewhat limited to one of a number of churches that your family might might happen to to attend, right? Is, was there di- diversity beyond that in the there, community? There was. Um, I grew up in Indianapolis, which is the, the capital city, so there was more diversity than you might find in um, in other cities or towns in, in Indiana, uh, at the Jesuit high school, I, I had a number of, of Muslim friends mm. and that population is growing and growing, mm-hmm. um, the Jewish community as well. So there was a, a considerable amount of diversity mm. once I reached, um, high school. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was still very much immersed in what was largely a Catholic and Christian community. Mm-hmm. And were you interested in interreligious dialogue generally, or was there something particular about Christian Muslim uh, relations that was that really captured your interest? I think initially I was interested in uh, religious diversity in general, and mm. I found particularly as I uh, grew older and, and was a teenager that I was really yearning for something new because I had grown up in such an insular Catholic community. I was really craving craving something new. Mm-hmm. Um, I think sometimes um, when you grow up in a, in a situation where only one tradition is presented to you and it's so up close and personal for so long, you don't ask the right sorts of critical questions. Or if you do, they don't always get answered in, in a way that's helpful. Um, and so by the time I reached high school, I was really um, yearning for, for more answers or more questions or more experiences of faith. Um, 
And fortunately, when I when I got to Georgetown, I happened to, um, you know, I was interested in Islam particularly, but um, I, I met some Muslim friends and became really close with them. And I, I was chuckling to myself, Nadia, because I also um, sort of the, the flip side uh, went on a Muslim retreat hosted by Georgetown um, my freshman year and also have uh, gone to uh, Friday prayers a number of times and, and things like that. And so those experiences... Um, you know, were really important to me. And ultimately, as I, you know, I talk about in the book, they helped me re-embrace my own tradition and not in a way where I was like, oh, I don't like Islam. I don't like what they're doing. I don't like them. It was, wow, what they have is really beautiful. And I want to find that in my own tradition as well. This is Interfaith-ish on WOWD 94.3 FM. We've been talking with Jordan Denary Duffner, the author of Finding Jesus Among Muslims, How Loving Islam Makes Me a Better Catholic. Also joining us is Nadia Hassan, Executive Director of the Young Leaders Institute. So let's turn now to some of the um, challenging realities that you've faced as you've tried to build understanding in our community. Uh, Nadia, I imagine you, you made mention of this a little bit referencing 9-11, but I imagine for someone who's um, been so out front in the public as you've been that you've likely had to deal with um, some Islamophobic harassment or, or, or worse. Um, yes. Yeah, so I, I would say that 9-11 really shook me at the core because everything that I thought or it, the, the, the environment in which I grew up, um, I perceived it to be such, which after 9-11 completely changed. Mm. And I felt like I was in a foreign land or a different place. And um, I haven't I can't say that I have uh, personally received attacks, mm -hmm. but it was more from on a societal level. Mm -hmm. So, for example, um, one time I was, you know, going through the airport and whenever TSA, you know, at post 9-11, of course, you know, whenever we go through the, the checkpoints, it's always you become that random search, you know, mm -hmm. and I have to be very patient with it, you know, because I don't want to... Um, I don't want to give a wrong impression of who Muslims are. And so, you know, even my daughter, since who is here today also with, with the students, um, you know, from, from when she was five years old, very young, when we'd go through the airports, I had to train her on what to do, how to act, what to say, uh, because I don't want her to become a target um, of any sort of, you know, um, uh, you know, the, as a result, I should say, of the Islamophobic uh, environment, the toxic environment that's being created by the right and the, you know, our political uh, sphere. So um, it's, it. you know, we, we were targeted a few times in the airport. And as a matter of fact, I was, uh, uh, CNN did a, uh, had interviewed me mm. uh, because uh, on one particular um, case, we were going through Dulles Airport, and it was the morning after the underwear bomber had attempted to detonate something in, in the sky. And I hadn't, you know, I was up packing late the night before I hadn't heard the news. And I'm going through the airport. And man, they had it in for us. And there was this woman, this TSA woman, she's about six feet tall, she comes up to me, she's all, ma'am, I need you to remove your headscarf. And I looked at her. And I, you know, it was a good thing I didn't hear the news, because I would probably would have been, you know, fear would have had set in and I mm. may have reacted differently. But I looked at her, I said, ma'am, I'm not removing my headscarf. You're very, you're welcome to, you know, do a pat down, you know, take me into a room, whatever, do whatever you need to 
do to feel safe, but I'm not removing my headscarf. When I got to the other side, she had it in for me. And mm. so they, you know, they had put me up on the wall. There was like five TSA guys standing in front of me while one patted me down in front of my, my daughter was only five, four or five at the time. She was terrified, didn't know what was happening to her mother. They took apart all of our luggage. They took apart my daughter's luggage, her crayons. They were testing them for bomb making materials. It was a devastating experience. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, one gentleman at the back of the room, he was an older gentleman, and he says to me, I'm so sorry, ma'am, that, that you have to go through this, but this is our policy now. Mm -hmm. And so when I heard policy, I said, oh, my gosh, this is becoming institutional now mm -hmm. where Muslims are going to be targeted and uh, 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 just for, because of the way that they look or the way that they dress. Mm -hmm. And uh, so needless to say, I, you know, it, it, it completely... Um, of course, it completely changed the way uh, that I felt about traveling because yeah. I used to travel a lot. Yeah. And and, so, and you said your father had been a veteran. And, and so a Marine, what was what yeah. was what was like? What was that like in your? What was the response to your in your family? You somebody that had had served the country, and now right. you know, in this instance, we're seeing an illustration of 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 the family being viewed as a threat to the right. country. Yeah, I mean, it's devastating. Um, you know, he 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 served uh, our country. This was prior to my birth and him, you know, marrying my mother. But mm -hmm. um, yes, he did serve his country. And now all of a sudden, we've now become the, the other mm -hmm. or the threat, you know, mm -hmm. which growing up, I did not grow up you know, thinking that way. So right. it, it was, um, it was, it was very hard. It was a very bitter pill to swallow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Jordan, in your, in your previous position with the bridge initiative, uh, you studied the data around Islamophobia. Um, and I don't think it would be a surprise to many people that given the cultural and political climate, um, that incidents like what Nadia described are on the rise. Um, but I wonder if, if given your background, if you feel like you're able to see beyond some of the numbers of these of these incidents that are that are pretty widespread and some get reported many don't mm -hmm. um and and understand what how people are rationalizing this prejudice for themselves you know presumably coming from an overwhelmingly white christian americans um for continue to hold this negative perception of of muslims does it come down to just lack of exposure I, I think lack of exposure is part of it, but it's definitely not not the whole story because, you know, I, I'm a firm believer that, you know, I mean, we hope that every non-Muslim non -Muslim American gets an opportunity to meet a Muslim, but I don't think that's going to solve the problem of Islamophobia mm. because, I mean, especially in the last, um, you know, two or three years, we have seen Islamophobia institutionalized, as you were saying, through um, policies. Um, law enforcement practices. Um, we see it in our political discourse. And those things aren't going to be remedied just because somebody has learned something about Islam or they've met somebody who's Muslim. So, so we have a lot more to do. And I think, you know, unfortunately, um, Muslims for so long have been seen and portrayed as, as a threat. And so people who um, feel uh, prejudice uh, against Muslims feel justified in that, and so it, the question is how, how do we how do we break that down? Obviously, familiarity is a part of it, but part of it too is helping people to understand the systemic nature of all of this. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, much of my work has sort of been 
on those two different levels, trying to facilitate interpersonal engagement, but also to educate the public about, you know, what is really going on here. Um, because as you said, it, it does go beyond reported numbers of hate crimes. I mean, I think, you know, when we talk about hate crimes, there are good, um, broad sort of measure of maybe the feeling that's going on right now or, or, um, you know, the sense of, of how things are in the country, but they definitely don't represent everything because Islamophobia is not, unfortunately, it's not just when um, people or, or houses of worship get targeted. It's, it's, um, it's happening on lots of different levels. And I, and I think it's important to mention that this is part of the American story. I mean, because the Muslims are not the first community to be targeted. I mean, we've seen this with the Japanese community. Mm -hmm. We've seen it with the Jewish community. We've seen it with the Italian community. Mm -hmm. and, the and not so long ago, the Catholic Absolutely. community, you know, with uh, Kennedy and, and, and what happened with, with that. But um, so it's, it's, you know, we're just the new kid on the block right now. And uh, I, I truly believe that, you know, I mean, I, I agree with you um, that we have a lot of education to do and um, but it is systemic and um, we have a lot of work to do but I, I'm so excited to say that there are more Muslims who are running for office now mm -hmm. which is great hopefully that's going to counter some of that uh, some of those policies and we have two Muslim women in Congress now which is uh, which is exciting who were just sworn in to the 116th Congress so um, I believe that that change is coming mm -hmm. so do you feel for the both of you I'm curious you know we, we talked about if it's person to person, if it's about relationships on an individual level, obviously this is critically important. Um, you know, but this is something that that alone is going to take generations and generations, right? As you as you were saying, Jordan, the feasibility of everybody um, having the opportunity, whether you know, meeting a Muslim or somebody from a different faith background, whatever it is, just being exposed to somebody who has a tradition different from their own. You know, these are things that take time, let alone having them be the type of quality relationships that actually foster friendship and, and love between people. Um, so what do you feel are these these uh, significant steps that our institutions need to do to move the needle to on sort of the, the bigger picture? Mm. Do you want to go ahead? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that there are groups that are coming together. I've personally seen many uh, interfaith groups come together and stand up for the other. Um, mm -hmm. We've seen that post 9-11. Uh, we see it now. Uh, I, I'm doing a lot of work uh, right now with um, with Muslim Jewish relations, um, with the Greater Washington Muslim Jewish Forum here locally in the D.C. area, as well as JIDS, JIDS which is the Jewish Islamic Dialogue Society. Uh, and I'm also uh, working with the Sisterhood of Salam Shalom. They just had their... Uh, annual conference um, about a month ago in, in um, Pennsylvania, right after the shooting that took place in, in, um, in Pittsburgh. So, so there are efforts um, that are, uh, you know, interfaith efforts of people coming together to build bridges and, um, you know, to counter the hate. Uh, but again, I think um, one of the challenges for these organizations and these um, these groups who are trying to do this is, is being strategic. Mm -hmm. How can we strategically counter the hate? Right. Um, yeah, because a just, lot of these interfaith organizations right. are working on that interpersonal relationship. Right. It's with people exactly. who are already open to these yeah. ideas because Correct. they're self-selecting to be there. Um, so I wonder if on the level of policy, if there are other uh, other things that you're seeing happening. One of the things that I was really um, 
heartened by was seeing that the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, which is the um, the hierarchical Catholic Church in the United States, um, when the Muslim travel ban was before the Supreme Court, um, the USCCB filed an amicus brief um, explaining from their perspective that this yes. is um, this is religious bigotry. Yes, it's not um, framed that way. And maybe this will get, unfortunately, through the courts because of the way it's been uh, worked. But if we look at this administration and, and what went into it, um, unfortunately, there is a bias against Muslims there. So, I mean, that, that's one example I'm thinking of in terms of um, – you know, institutions doing something uh, to, to move the needle um, on policy or, or things like that. Um, I, I, at the same time, though, I think um, my community has a long way to go. Um, I think sometimes when I go to interfaith things in, in Washington, D.C., um, I'm one of the only Catholics there. <laughs> I think sometimes mm. we don't, which is welcome w- to the club. Yeah. <laughs> I feel the same way. Um, and, 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 you know, and my attendance isn't, isn't always great. Um, but sometimes I think, you know, where, where are our clergy, where are our leaders? But then I think, you know, I, I'm Catholic too. And, uh, I, I've been trying to, uh, you know, do what I can from my, you know, places as a, as a Catholic person to, um, contribute in some way. Yeah. And I think that's where we met Jordan on the, when I was working on the Hill and there was, yes. there were many efforts where civic society and government and the NGOs were coming together to propose policies, um, to Congress. Of course, not all, all of them make it, um, there, but there, there definitely are efforts, um, but we still have a long way to go. This is Interfaith-ish, our bi-weekly show on WOWD 94.3 FM, where we discuss the common ground and differences between our traditions. I'm your host, Jack Gordon, and I'm joined today by my guest, Nadia Hassan, Executive Director of the Young Leaders Institute, and Jordan Denary Duffner, author of Finding Jesus Among Muslims, How Loving Islam Makes Me a Better Catholic. In the first half of our program, each of our dear guests answered some of my questions, but now we'll give my guests the chance to ask some of the questions of their own. Anything that they've uh, heard from each other about their tradition or experience that they'd like to follow up on, anything that was familiar to them coming in today that they want to understand better. On our show, we seek to model constructive and respective dialogue in the spirit of learning, while at the same time not being afraid to roll up our sleeves and get into some interfaith-ish. So with that, who would like to start? I can start. Um, So one of the things that I think is unfortunate is um, that many people in my faith community only get a stereotypical view of Islam. They only hear about the sorts of things they see on TV. Um, and a lot of times those things are not particularly positive. Um, I would love to hear from you what inspires you from, from Islam. What is a, a nugget of wisdom or, um, you know, a piece of music or poetry or something that inspires you okay. that you can sh- share with us? Thank you, uh, Jordan, for that question. Gosh, there's so much that inspires me. Um, it's really not I, a I fair would need, question. Yeah, <laughs> I would need a whole hour right. to, uh, um, quite honestly, I mean, you know, my students inspire me to be a better teacher. My students that are here today, um, my daughter inspires me to be a better mother. My family and my community inspire me to be a better Muslim. Uh, humanity inspires me to be uh, a better servant. Uh, you and Jack uh, inspire me to be a better leader. And of course, I would say the core of my inspiration comes from the Quran. Whenever I read the Quran, 
I always learn something new. I gain new depth uh, from reading the Quran. And so my faith uh, inspires me to be the person that I want to be in the world, inspires me to reach new heights, inspires me to want to do more for humanity. And of course, my love for humanity um, inspires me to be the best servant that I can be. Uh, because at the end of the day, we're, we all have that calling that you spoke about. It's like, what are we here for? Why were we created? Why did why were we sent to earth to do what? Um, and we're here for a purpose. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the things that I uh, aspire to do with my young people when I'm you know, whether I'm teaching them or empowering them through the Young Leaders Institute or in the classroom is to be the best that you can be, to be who you were brought here to be. Mm -hmm. And everyone has something great to offer the world. Everyone has something greater to offer than who they are at the moment. And so that's my inspiration um, comes from my faith, but it keeps me moving in the direction to be something more and something greater than what I am right now. Um, so I, if I may ask of you, course. Jordan, um, I'm, first of all, I want to say I'm proud of you. I'm oh, so proud you. that you have written a book because it's something that I have thought about for a long time. You should do it. <laughs> and of course, as a, you know, I'm a single mom, so I'm always juggling so many different of scarves, course. not hats, but scarves, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm wearing, I've got different, I wear different scarves on different days and play many different roles, but I'm really proud, um, of the fact that you were able to to get this done and, and it's a major accomplishment and so um but i just want to know what roadblocks or what challenges did you have as you were you know during uh writing the book and i know mm. it was a process like how long did it take you to to from start to to completion um so i it took me probably um a year and a half um i wasn't writing for that whole time but the ideas were percolating for for a long time, and uh, I had it sort of mapped out before before I put pen to paper. Um, you know, thankfully, because of very supportive family and friends and a publisher, I didn't have uh, many major roadblocks in in writing the book. But you know, thinking about some of the roadblocks that have that have come up in in my work generally related to Islamophobia. Um, I think the challenge of communicating the message to whatever audience you're speaking to in, in the right way. For me, that's that's the hardest challenge because uh, so many communities are, are at different places or have different levels of exposure or different levels of knowledge. And so for me, um, that's that's all you know, it, it's not a roadblock, but it's a challenge that I'm always that I'm always working through in, in my writing or in my in my work. I think, um, you know, another thing is as well is. Um, just not not always feeling like um, my broader Catholic community has my back mm -hmm. on, on this on this work. I'm, fortunately, my my immediate family, my husband, my parents, you know, my close friends, they get it. Right. Um, but sometimes I feel like um, you know I'm I'm a you know a, a lone voice. But what's been so amazing since since the book came out was getting emails from people saying. I've had such a similar experience to you and um, I'm trying to do things in my own community. You know, thank you for giving voice to it. And, you know, I say to them, thank you for letting me know that there are actually, there's a, you know, a whole group of us all over the country, all over the world who are, okay. who are doing this work. And for me, that's um, so encouraging and it's what keeps me going when, when things get challenging. 
That's awesome. I, I have to say that I could totally relate because when I started the Young Leaders Institute, I thought that I would get more support from my community. And I did. I got some, uh, not, not a ton, not a whole lot. But um, I, I ended up getting more support from communities that were outside of mm. the Muslim faith. So I get, ironically, I get a lot of support from the Jewish community and um, from the Christian community mm -hmm. as well. Um, so I, I feel you. I feel yeah. your pain. So, <laughs> so I, I want to ask you also how you got into interfaith work. Was there a particular um, incident that occurred or, or moment of inspiration? What, um, what got you into this? Oh, so I have the tea party to thank for that. Okay. <laughs> um, back into, so I was living in California um, during this time in, in 2011. And okay. uh, one of my um, council women uh, the, are, are, uh, of the city. So I grew up in Villa Park, California, uh, which is in Orange County. And the council, our, our councilwoman um, publicly came out and made a hate speech against the Muslim community. I think I saw that. Yes. And she said, I know a number of Marines who would be willing willing to give an early uh, yes. meeting in paradise for, for, no, she said, I know a number of Marines who would be willing to give these terrorists an early meeting in para paradise. And of course, she was speaking about Muslims. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I, I, first of all, I was devastated because She's using the U.S. Marines, who my father served in, mm -hmm. right, to threaten to kill Muslims, my community. So at that point, I knew that that was my calling, and I had to stand up mm -hmm. and do something. Mm -hmm. I couldn't just let this slide uh, and, and, and let it go yeah. un, you know, unchecked. So I started a coalition called the Villa Park Peace Coalition. And as I began to organize, we organized a protest outside the city council chambers. Um, I noticed that people started calling me people from all over Orange County that I had never known um, you know this pastor this priest this leader of this community would call up and say Nadia I am so-and-so from this faith community and we are here to stand in solidarity with you and the Muslim community and we are here to support you in any way possible but sure enough the list grew and grew and grew and the next thing I knew there were 500 people who showed up to the to the um to the protest. Wow. And um, there was, uh, of course, the haters showed up who supported this woman, which I refuse to say her name. Uh, and that that began a two year struggle and fight mm -hmm. against this woman to um, apologize and to retract her statements. And mm -hmm. sure enough, she was so stubborn that she wouldn't. And so um, I was the first one to speak uh, at the at the protest in the in the city council chambers. And she refused refused to apologize. She refused to resign. And so for two years, I just went and, 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 and then the, the thing is, is that she was, uh, she was working with, there was a whole cohort of them. Right. And, and so I had to go from city council meeting to city council meeting, just to during public comment to un to, to correct the lies that were being spoken about um, mm -hmm. ag against our community. And so that's what I did for two years. I spent the next two years going from city council uh, meeting to city council meeting and standing up during public comment. And, and oftentimes I would have three minutes only to undo about 20 lies that yeah. were told, you know, and it, there wasn't enough, uh, there wasn't enough time. And sure enough, I got invited more and more to sit on committees and interfaith organization boards and, um, and, you know, do media interviews and things like that. So uh, I feel like um, I, I owe the credit to the Tea Party for getting <laughs> me involved in the interfaith movement. So, well, 
Oh, go ahead. Yeah. So I, I wanted to ask you, um, I wanted to ask you about your work at the Bridget Initiative because yeah. I find it so fascinating. I was talking to the class, my class about this, that a group, you know, first of all, that this project, the Bridge Initiative, is housed under one of the most prestigious universities, Georgetown University. And it's also founded by not any one of the Muslim faith. Right, right. And I think that is just fascinating. What was the inspiration? Um, well, well, actually, tell me what was your, yeah. I think I kind of know, you know, yeah, you, you've spoken about like why you wanted to work there, but do, tell me a little bit about the founding of sure. this project. Sure. So the, I mean, you're right that the Bridge Initiative was, um, you know, founded by somebody who's not Muslim, John Esposito at Georgetown. Right. And some of the earliest staff members, including myself, are you know, we're not Muslim. Right. And I think a lot of people were really um, surprised by that initially because it's kind of counterintuitive. Like, why you guys aren't Muslim? Why why are you doing this? But I think that sent a really important message that, you know, and you know this from from interfaith work, that we shouldn't just be advocating for our own community, that something that impacts one of our communities can and will affect all of them. And even if they don't, even if they don't, you know, I as 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 a white woman am you know, not going to ever face the sorts of discrimination that other people in this country are, are going to uh, to face. But, you know, I believe it's a part of my faith tradition and, and my responsibility as a, you know, a citizen to, to, to do this work. And I think um, the Bridge Initiative being housed at a Catholic and Jesuit institution also, um, you know, has that sort of in the background. Um. So, yeah, that's that's some of the beginning. And, you know, the other thing I'll say as well is, you know, it's called bridge for a number of reasons. One, to, you know, bridge between Christians and Muslims or, you know, people of different faiths, but also to bridge the academic study of this issue with the public sphere. And so from the beginning, we've been on, you know, we were on social media and doing media interviews and really trying to give journalists and educators and lots of other uh, people resources that are actually going to help them in this work right. to to equip them with with materials and resources that can help us um, you know yeah. in in the different causes and, and I think it's so important to uh, to to impart to especially to young people exactly. that you don't have to only learn you're not only going to learn from people of your own faith there's a lot to be learned from people who are different from us and you had asked me about my inspiration earlier and believe it or not Pope Francis inspires me and I was so excited when he was appointed because my great-grandmother was Argentinian and I was like I was I was thrilled that he was chosen for this role and my community was like well why do you even care about that I'm like he's Argentinian yeah. my great that's my lineage so yeah. yes he inspires me he speaks a universal truth of love and it's like who can't relate to that exactly. so so this is Interfaith Ish on WOWD 94.3 FM and we've been listening to a conversation between Jordan Denary Duffner author of Finding Jesus Among Muslims How Loving Islam Makes Me a Better Catholic and Nadia Hassan, Executive Director of the Young Leaders Institute. So this has been a, a very illuminating conversation. I want to thank both of you for sharing your perspectives. As we wrap up, um, I'm curious if each of you has a maybe a small bit of advice that you might um, give to our listeners um, who about taking time to reflect a little bit deeper about the issues that we've discussed. So, you know, presumably... If folks are listening to this show, they're already to one degree or another involved um, in, in interfaith cooperation. Um, it's possible that the show is a first step for someone, um, and of course we welcome them, but I'm guessing that more than likely we're preaching to the converted, as, as, <laughs> you, as it were. Um, so for somebody who feels like they've got this interfaith thing figured out, um, 
how how do you feel like folks can identify blind spots that still mm -hmm. exist, um, particularly when it comes to Christian Muslim collaboration? Well, I think it's always important for us to be continually trying to figure out or realize what our existing and implicit biases are. Um, I have had the unpleasant experience numerous times, even since I started this work, of being confronted with the fact that I still, as someone who works in this space, hold on to stereotypes and implicit biases about Muslims, unfortunately. And I think it's actually really unhealthy when we don't admit that to ourselves, because if we don't admit that to ourselves, um, we, you know, we just think, oh, we're fine and we could make a lot of mistakes and, and ultimately not treat people well. And so for me, what I would encourage, um, you know, our listeners and, and all people to do is to, to just be really reflective and realize, oh, why did I have that visceral reaction in that in that interaction with this person? Or was I assuming something about this person simply because the way they looked and, and not shame ourselves for those things, but use it as a learning opportunity to continue to grow? That's a great point. Um, <clears throat> I would say that um, I think people uh, might be apprehensive about getting involved in interfaith work because oftentimes they don't know what the point is. They don't know what they're there to do. So there might be some, um, you know, some notion that, oh, well, you know, everyone's there just to convert everybody, which is so not true and it's I couldn't be further from the truth. And so there might be a little bit of uncomfortable uh, feeling or, you know, apprehension about getting involved. Um, I would just say that, you know, um, uncomfortable is good. Mm. Because the, when you sit in the uncomfortable, that's where growth happens. Yeah. That's where progress happens. That's where fruition happens. And so embrace the uncomfort, uncomfort. Embrace it. Be open to hearing a perspective that's different than yours. And just because someone has a perspective that's different than yours, it doesn't mean you can't have a relationship with that exactly. person. Because our diversity, diversity of thought, um, is what strengthens us as a community. And if someone is different from you, that doesn't e equal hate. There are so many people in the political sphere that I have to work with um, that I don't see eye to eye with. But at the end of the day, I could extend my hand and say, hey, let's go have a cup of coffee. Let's go have some tea together and let's talk about it. And you can walk away and you can you can be fine. You know, so embrace that uncomfort and be open to learning new things. Well, this has been great. Thank you so much for, for being here. And it was an honor to have you, as well as the students of the M&M Learning Center. Thanks, Yay. guys, for being out there yeah. with us. Uh, we might watch out that this live audience thing might happen to happen every show. <laughs> I like having a full house. We'll send uh, people your way. Yeah. yeah. Right. And speaking of which, uh, before we go, I want to invite everyone who's listening uh, in the D.C. area to join us Saturday, January 29th at American University for the D.C. Interfaith Leadership Summit, the only multi-faith conference for young leaders in the DMV area. This annual event draws participants from a variety of religious, ethical, and cultural traditions dedicated to building newer and stronger relationship with each other and their communities. It's geared specifically for participants between the ages of 18 to 39. And as someone who's been intimately involved with the summit since the beginning, I'm personally very excited to experience what the organizers have in store for us this year. So I hope you all will join us. Again, that's Saturday, January 26th at American University. Complete info at ifcmw.org or just search online for DC Interfaith Summit.
Dear listeners, that's a wrap on this week's Interfaith-ish. I want to thank my awesome guest, Jordan Denary Duffner, author of Finding Jesus Among Muslims, How Loving Islam Makes Me a Better Catholic, and Nadi Hassan, Executive Director of the Young Leaders Institute. As always, a shout-out to my fellow interfaith astronauts, Miranda Hovmeyer and Sue Katz-Miller, and of course to Jeff Philosopher for providing our theme music for the show. And thank you, dear listeners, for spending your hour with us. You can find all of our previous episodes of Interfaith-ish on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and SoundCloud. Remember to subscribe, leave a rating and a review, and send us an email about the Interfaith-ish you wish to dish at interfaithish at gmail.com. I-N-T-E-R-F-A-I-T-H-I-S-H at gmail.com. Let us know how uh, you're doing out there. Where are you coming from? How far are we reaching? Are you from Orange County like Nadia or Indiana like Jordan? Or are you actually in the country of Jordan like this Jordan goes to from time to time where they use the dinar, which makes things even weirder. Dinar and dinari. We didn't even talk about that in this episode. (laughs) There you go. Talk about a calling. In any case, whether you've got dinars or dollars, put them towards supporting great community programming like you get at Tacoma Radio. You can sign up to be a member. And then when Interfaith-ish is on again in two weeks and you're listening on the Metro, you can nudge the guy who's sitting next to you and point to your phone and be like, hey, I made that happen. And then you'll have a, a shared connection there. You can pass the wireless earbuds. He'll put them on. He'll hear the inspiring sounds of interreligious, intercultural, interlocution, bridges being built right here on Interfaith-ish. And the color will come back to his cheeks and his eyes will brighten and a smile will come to his face. And the two of you will discover a deeper understanding of each other and the world. And then we'll step off the train laughing arm in arm as friends. And it'll be all thanks to WOWD 94.3 FM streaming online at TacomaRadio.org.